going into the morning of Friday into Saturday. And rapid response is just what they do when it looks like a patient is about to code and they'll call to try to prevent a code. Like respiratory failure, cardiac arrest. Right. After those codes, apparent or rapid responses, right before I woke up, I remember seeing a presence um, and being in God's presence. And it was this beautiful, beautiful light, and I couldn't see his, his face whatsoever, but I just saw this beautiful light. And it was so peaceful. And so and waking up and seeing the respiratory therapist friend of mine and she looking at me and I said he's not ready for me yet he's not ready so has a purpose for me and I'm not ready to die yet and she looks at me and says not on my watch you're not and I was told during the hospital stay during the days that I don't remember so well when I was completely out of it that apparently there were friends um and old co-workers who were coming into the room or outside of the room and praying for me and holding my hand because they knew how much it, how much I would want my family there and how much personal touch this to me and how much you know um, the power of prayer is and I felt every one of those prayers during this whole time I, I saw God work in amazing ways I I didn't even know um, you know some of the friends we had just how, how much people came together to help us out. Um, like just God doing that for us and um, kind of putting that together and, and just all these people just willing to help out. Um, there were days I had opened the door and there was just stuff sitting on the front steps. I didn't know where it came from. Um, I didn't even know some of these people. I think she may have known them, but... Um, it was amazing. So today, um, I'm feeling a little bit better. Um, got a, a promising report from my physician earlier this week um, that is my lungs are improving significantly, but we still have a long road to go because obviously we don't know the long-term effects of COVID. I'm most thankful to God uh, for Renee. Um, you know, there was a time. Uh, during this whole thing where I I had, you know, started processing the thought of being a single parent. Um, and it wasn't a good feeling. Um, I'm thankful for God helping me get, get through this. Um, it was painful, but not as painful as it could have been. I'm definitely thankful for my husband and my friends and the church family and all my family and the prayers and um, I'm very thankful too for whoever it was that donated the homeless plasma. As a nurse I would encourage everyone in order to stay safe during this pandemic to please wear a mask. I don't wish COVID on anyone, not even my worst enemy. An incredible story of the grace of God and that family has so much that they will tell you that they are thankful for. We, we had to shorten a, a lot of that. But uh, one day, uh, we'll have them back to share a little bit more. It was a, uh, a pretty intense situation uh, for Renee there in the hospital. 
And just as they have lots of things to give thanks to God for this week, we do too. And so to kind of get that started, I'm going to ask you, uh, if you're able, to, uh, to mask up, stand up, and join us as we worship and give thanks to our good, good Father. He's more than enough, and he knows 
Father God, we come declaring your goodness and declaring, God, that we are thankful for being recipients of your goodness. We see it, Lord, and we give you thanks. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You you may be seated, and if you are comfortable doing so while you're seated, you may remove your mask if that is an encouragement uh, to you. Uh, We are are so very, very grateful for the goodness of God that flows in so many ways. And one of the ways that we have consistently, over the course of many years here, seen God's goodness and faithfulness flow uh, at River Bluff is the way that he transforms lives. We've already talked about the, the way he builds into people. And part of that transformation is spiritual maturity, people growing up in their faith. And part of spiritual growth means serving Serving the Lord out of the gifts he's given you, out of the the call uh, that he has on your life. And this past year, we've had four men who have heard the call and answered the call uh, to serve in the servant leadership role as deacons uh, here at at River Bluff Church. And and we're grateful for that. Uh, Very, very grateful for that. Uh, Jacob Huey um, and... Rick Adams is coming to me, Matt Lane, and Jim Roten. And uh, they're going to be coming up in just a moment. But I want us to think just a little bit about the role of deacon, uh, the, the, that, that, that role, that title, if you would, of deacons in ministry in the church. We see really for the first time showing up in Acts chapter 6, this, this new struggling church was getting off the ground. And an issue arose uh, where widows... Uh, needed help. And there was kind of this moment in time where there needed to be some proper oversight of emergency food distribution, sometimes like we see uh, around Charleston at times. And the Bible says that this wasn't just, oh, go pick some people. It said that that, that needed to have some qualifications and they needed to be consecrated and set aside for this unique ministry. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, we read these words. It says, therefore, brothers, they were talking to the church, Pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So there were some immediate qualifications given to those who would serve in this way. They had to have a good reputation, both within the family of God, within the new church, as well as outside of the church. They needed to be full of the Spirit. That, that means that it needed to be evident in their lives that the Spirit of God was growing and moving. Uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit were, were evident in their lives in a, growing, uh, in a growing way. It also said they had to be full of wisdom, not, not worldly wisdom. But the wisdom of God, being able to discern and see. It also goes on to say that they really needed to have some leadership capacity because they were going to be given a task to administer. And so this servant leader had to to be there. Now, this, again, wasn't the first time. I mean, this was the first time this unique role was mentioned, but it wouldn't be the last. 
The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to his young protege, Timothy, um, trying to help Timothy understand what it looks like to plant churches uh, in different places as Paul had done. And he was writing Timothy specifically in chapter 3 of the first letter to Timothy about what leadership can look like in the church. He specifically mentions elders and he specifically mentions deacons. And he gives some very, very specific qualifications um, for deacons. I want to read from that letter. It's uh, in, in 1 Timothy, if you want to turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we read this in, starting in verse 8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their household well. For those who serve well as deacon gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the, the unique portions of that list had to do with deacons' wives because she would play such a vital role in her husband's ministry. And I've asked Kathy, my wife, if she would come and share some of her thoughts about what it means to model and support and be a leader's spouse uh, in this role. Thank you, honey. of this church were asking God to reveal to them who should become deacons, they were asked to consider the verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we see here, these verses also contain requirements for the deacon's wife. If your life had not reflected these verses, then your husband would not have been considered and you both would not be seated here this morning. Now, if I asked you to make a list of words to describe yourself, would you have chosen the word dignified? I wouldn't have, because what comes to most people's minds when that word is used is not really how I see myself. However, when we look at the definition of the word dignified, we learn that it means worthy of respect. And that paints a totally different picture of that word for me. We need to live our lives in such a way that honors God and then we will be worthy of respect. We will be dignified. This verse also says that the deacon's wife is not to be a slanderer. In other words, she does not spread gossip about another person. We should always think before we speak about anything, but this is really important. I like to think of it this way. If we use another person's name in a sentence when we are talking to someone else, then we need to make certain that we have that person's permission even if we've been hurt by another person, we've not been given permission to talk about that person behind their back. We won't go wrong if we make Psalm 19.4 our template when we speak. It says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Next we read that the deacon's wife is to be sober-minded. This means that she is to have a mind that is sound, sensible, 
and focused upon pure and clean thoughts. It means she is to keep her life and mind under control, and she is to stay focused on the purpose, meaning, and significance of life. In other words, she is to practice self-control in all things. Philippians 4.8 puts it this way, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The next words that are used in 1 Timothy to describe the deacon's wife are that she is faithful in all things. She is to be a woman of her word. She is to honor the commitments that she makes. She needs to be someone who can be counted on to live out the gospel faithfully. Her family, her co-workers, and her friends need to see her as a person of honor. Your husband needs your support as he begins this new role in his life as deacon. I truly believe the number one thing that you can do to support your husband is to pray for him every day. For some reason, I think many times we find it easier to pray for other people than we do to pray for our spouse. We pray for our children, our grandchildren, our extended family, and our friends. But the person that we decided to spend our lives with, you know, till death do us part, we neglect to pray for. Maybe that is not true for you. But if it is, I'm asking you to make a commitment today to fervently pray for him every day. It would be such a gift to marriages if spouses would choose to, do the, choose to do this for each other. One other way I believe you can support him is by loving your God and knowing him intimately. Even though the husband is supposed to be the spiritual leader of our homes, we don't get to sit back and simply ride his coattails. I am responsible for maintaining my relationship with my Lord by spending time with him and putting him above everything else in my life. I need to make sure that I'm allowing God to search me and point out things to me that are not pleasing to him. Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Sandy, Janitsky, Joy, and Melissa. My prayer for you is that you will always keep your eyes on the Father, that you will allow this dark world to see the sun shine his light through you, and that you will rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you on the path that the Father has set before you. If you will do these things, you will be the deacon's wife that is described here in 1 Timothy. God bless you as you begin this journey together. Thank you, honey. Men, just as Kathy shared some specifics uh, for your wives, and uh, she spoke to Joy, who we believe is uh, actually in the Greenville area, um, joining us via uh, live stream because she's there helping her family, who uh, her son and daughter-in-law. God's Word says some of the same things, one of the first things it starts with, to your uh, qualification is that you be dignified. One of the same words that was used for wives, um, Kathy said it means worthy of respect, and it, it certainly does. It's this idea of having a, a life like Christ that's worthy of imitating. Now, it didn't say perfection. 
You're not going to get there on this side, okay? But we're to pursue this life in the kingdom of God, seeking to live a little bit more each day uh, like our, our Lord Jesus did. Next it said not double-tongued. One translation that I love says not shifty talkers. So don't be shifty in your talking. Be sincere in what you say, not deceitful. It means that you love the truth. That you, you just pursue the truth. You're seeking to be like Jesus, whom the Bible tells us came, filled with both grace and with truth. Next, the scripture says, not addicted to much wine. And I take that to mean also no, no addictions. Not, you don't have an addictive personality. You're not allowing currently anything to control your life other than the spirit of the living God. That's it. Now, it didn't say abstain from all alcohol. We don't teach that here because the scriptures don't, don't teach that. This is about not abusing the liberty that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord and that we not become a stumbling block for another person. Next qualification says not greedy for dishonest gain. I love Pastor Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of, of this statement. It, he says not in it for what you can get out of it. You're not in it for what you can get out of it. The opposite of, of this greedy for dishonest gain, I think, would be that you would be generous. A, a deacon should believe and follow Jesus' teaching that it actually is more blessed to give than, than to receive. Now, at River Bluff, we believe it is an honor to be named a deacon. It means you've been noticed by your River family. They've seen these things flowing through your lives already. And while it's an honor to be named a deacon, it's also a, an incredible responsibility. And to clearly communicate the sacredness of that responsibility here, years ago, we designed a deacon covenant. And this covenant lays out in very plain language the expectations and responsibilities of a deacon at Riverbluff. It's rooted primarily in God's word that talks about character qualities of Jesus. Being a deacon at River Bluff is not about making decisions. It's not about, you know, getting information before everybody else does. It's not about you getting to give people permission to do things. We're not going to give you some secret handshake or anything. It's not, it's not about that. It's a ministry of serving, oftentimes sacrificially serving this body. And at River Bluff, there are two primary responsibilities. The first is to assist me and, and the other elders in meeting the spiritual, emotional, and very often basic physical needs, human needs of our church family. The second is just as strong, but it, it's to steward your influence. You have influence that God has given you. To steward your influence to do what Paul told the church at Ephesians to do in Ephesians chapter 3. To steward your influence to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. It says make every effort to do that. Now, each of you men took a couple of weeks to, to read over, pray over with your wives that, that deacon covenant, and you came back and said that you, uh, it's, it's the full intent of your heart to, to live this out, to let your life be built around uh, those, those words there. And because we believe that that's your commitment, I'm going to ask you and your wife, if she's here, hi, Joy, um, to, to come up front, spatially distanced a little bit, but if you would come up front, um, and just kind of stand here, and once you kind of get spatially distanced, if you would turn around and face your river family, and uh, just take your mask off for just a second, and wave, and let them see your smiling faces. This is Melissa and, and Jim Roten. This is Matt and Joy Lane over there in the screen, in the camera. Uh, this is Adam, uh, Adam. 
Rick and Sandy Adams. I'll get it right in a minute. And this is Janitsi and Jacob Huey. And uh, we're grateful for the commitments they've made. And I'm going to ask you guys if you would place your mask back on and take a, a step or two forward. Um, and I'm going to ask those of you who were kind of already uh, chosen to come down and lay hands on the, this, this couple uh, as our, our dear brother Scott Cockill, one of our elders here, comes and leads us in prayer for, for these couples. Scott, thank you, brother. Thank you. Good morning, church. Please bow your heads with me. Our Lord and God, this morning we turn to you in prayer for our new deacons and their wives. Since the time of the apostles, you have inspired your church to appoint members of your church to assist in these special ways and its missions to you. We give you thanks this morning, Lord, for how you have blessed your church, for how you are continuing to build and shape your church, and for giving us the joy today of appointing these four new deacons and their wives to serve your church. We would ask that you would bless these new deacons and their wives, that they may know true humility and be faithful in their service to you and River Bluff. Remind them daily of the examples of you, our Lord Jesus Christ, in fulfilling the ministry that you gave to us, that you came to serve rather than be served by others, that you, our Lord, sought the needs of others rather than seeking his own, that you've always ministered to people without prejudice and with courage and determination, that you loved all people unconditionally. We ask further, Lord God, that you pour generously into these men and women's lives your Holy Spirit today. Fill them with your love, compassion, so that they may see all people as you see them and that they are equipped to carry out the duties that they have been appointed to fulfill. Lord God, we pray for these new deacons and their wives and indeed all of your people that call River Bluff your church. Here, that you would fill us anew with your Holy Spirit so that we will be, one, healers and doers of your word, two, ministers of all people, three, friends of the poor, four, that our voices will be the voice of the voicelessness, and finally, that we will all become servants of our Lord Jesus. We ask all this in your precious name, and all God's people said, amen. We want to thank you for your commitment to serve, and uh, church, I want to charge you to be in prayer for these. That's your charge today, to, to, to remember them as you pray because they're seeking to serve you. Now, one of the things that we have the awesome privilege of doing is not only seeing God connect us with leaders that he's raising up within the body, but so often outside of the, the family of faith of River Bluff and gives us partnerships with those leaders in our community. Um, yesterday, some from among us served over at Destiny Church for a mass food distribution. And that was done in conjunction with Low Country Cares, which is a ministry partner uh, of ours. And God keeps raising up these opportunities, and, and we just thank him. And he, he's going to do the same in your life, and he already has. And so those are things you can, can thank God for. One of the things that we're thankful for is a, a brand new kind of adventure that God has brought us into, a partnership. Um, and I'm going to ask Cindy Shirley if she would come and share a little bit about this new partnership that God has given that she has the opportunity to run point on. And some of our deacons are going to be stepping out because they've been here for two services already. <laughs> Cindy, thank you for sharing. Uh, when we started the Counseling Center Back in 2010, we knew then that we wanted to be kingdom-minded, and we did a lot of things to try to reach out to the community. One of the reasons why we started it was we wanted to serve the greater Charleston area with 
integrated Christian counseling. And in 2013, we, we had a specific leading from the Lord that we were to help other churches start counseling centers because we believe the church is the place that we're supposed to go in order to get help and healing. And so we set out to do that, and I probably moved uh, faster than I should have and got ahead of the Lord, and we identified three different times churches that we could help start a counseling ministry and had a plan for it. And every single time the door just closed and it closed pretty hard. And the third time it, it finally occurred to me that I needed to slow my roll and wait on God. And so I did. And that was probably five years ago. And then late this summer in the midst of all of this COVID stuff, I got a call from one of my best friends in the counseling field. Her name is Dr. Angel Weaver, and uh, she has great experience in both teaching and counseling, and she's a part of a church uh, just down the road called North Palm Community Church, and she said, my pastor just called me, and she wants me to help the church to start a counseling center, and I, she asked me if I would, and I said, well, I don't know how to start a counseling center in a church, but I know somebody who does, and so I'm calling you, Cindy. Will you meet with us and help us? And I knew Pastor Patricia Estes from uh, North Palm Community Church. I'd met her before. In fact, my husband is helping build, or he is building, our company is building their new auditorium and church building, and um, I'm so thankful for that as well. And that's not about the story. That's really just a, a proud wife moment. So, uh, but, so I said, sure, we'll meet. Let's meet with uh, Pastor Patricia. And so we began to talk about doing that and as, uh, as April talked, or Angel talked to me about it, what she, what she shared with me was that they had already identified somebody from their church who was a Christian counselor back in the community, had been gone, and now she had returned. And, and she told me all about a woman named Kelly Kennedy, and I got the chance to talk to Kelly. And one of the things I told Angel was, you know, maybe we should just bring her on our staff in preparation for this. And, you know, regardless of how much we help you, she'll be ready to go and become part of the North Palm Community Counseling Center. And so uh, we talked about that, but in our first meeting when we got the chance to talk with uh, Pastor Patricia, uh, she was very thankful that we were getting to meet, and I shared a lot of our story and all that we had learned in the 10 years that we've been functioning as a counseling center. And uh, we talked about some of those benchmarks of things that they would have to do. And in that process, she, I said, now listen, we want to help as much as we can. And so if you want to keep meeting, great, we can do that. If you want to look at our processes and our procedures, we'll share them with you. We'll share them digitally. You can change them however you want. Yeah, we'll help Kelly to get insurance. And I said, we would even go as far as bringing Kelly onto our staff, letting her become a part of our team, benefit from that experience of understanding and being able to do counseling with a church in, within a church environment. I can mentor her. And then when it's time, we'll send her off to you guys with all of her clients. And Pastor Patricia was like, wow, that would be awesome. We really would appreciate all of that. How much is it that we would need to pay River Bluff in order for us to get that assistance? And I was, I was on Zoom, so I just went like this. 
And then I got the chance to do the thing that I love to do. I said, Patricia, River Bluff is very kingdom-minded. And we don't think of you guys as our competitors. We think of you as our ministry partners. And so whether people come to River Bluff or go three miles down the road to North Palm to get help, we want to be a part of that. And so I can honestly and truthfully say our church would like to help. I had already talked to Joe about it. He knew. He said, press into that. Go forward. Go as far as God wants you to. And so she looked at me and she said through the screen, she said, wow, that is kingdom mindedness. We'll, we'll do all of it. We'll take everything you have to give. Let's do this. And we set out, and she's a go-getter. She's, she's a great leader. And so we set out that we were going to go through these processes. And every step of the way, I would share things, and she would have homework. And I would share more, and she would have homework. And we've walked through all of it. They've established the center as a subsidiary of the church. They are making space available right now. We've helped Kelly get insurance already with TRICARE. And within a month with the Mac Daddy insurance of Amal Blue Cross Blue Shield. And we are about to launch the North Palm Counseling Center in early 2021. Kelly's client load continues to grow. And as that happens, she will be able to go over to North Palm fully functioning. And in fact, we've even offered the help of Pat Naraki, who's our office manager and does all of our insurance building, to help them to reduplicate what we do with forms and things like that so that they don't have to do it themselves and worked with our software company to be sure that, that we could do that. And she's going to train their accounting people and things like that on how to integrate with the software. So it uh, is a great pleasure to me to be able to help in that way. Uh, I think often of Mark 1.15 where Jesus says, the time is now, the kingdom is near, repent and believe the good news. And it occurs to me that the time is now and the kingdom is right here at River Bluff, but it is also down the road at North Palm. And we are so thankful to get to be part of that. Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, I pray, praise God for that. That is, uh, I mean, just the, the opportunities that God keeps sending to us to be a part of what he's doing in our city just blows me away. He just, he keeps doing things that uh, there's no way for us to plan. There's no way for us to, to, to take credit for. Um, we just, we say, God, thank you for, for letting us be a part of that. And not only is it in, locally, but also globally, God gives us partnerships. Uh, you know, your giving to River Bluff helps support over 3,500 foreign missionaries through the cooperative program. Uh, it's, it's an incredible opportunity. We have um, ministry partners that we work with in uh, in, in Ecuador, in Ambato, Ecuador, helping to plant churches there, and uh, First Baptist Church of Ambato, and in Cuba, uh, in Bayamo, we work with Seventh Baptist Church and helping them to plant churches and, and be in ministry. And God gives us this, this opportunity for, for a global touch, and one of the ways that God has done that through, through you, 
uh, not just through one leader, but through you, is by participating in Operation Christmas Child Shoebox Ministry. And, and up there you see the shoeboxes that have already been collected, the physical ones. Uh, so many of you have told me already that you have participated online and built a box there. And we are just grateful to God above that we get to participate in something that's going to take the gospel to some of the remotest places in the world through a little shoebox packed with goodies, and we'll give the, that'll be given to a child, and the gospel will be shared with them. And it is powerful to see that happen. And so today, those boxes are going to begin their journey from this location to wherever God sends them. We don't know where. They're going to get scattered all over the place, and the gospel is going to go with them. And we just want to say thank you, God, for letting us participate. And so what I've asked uh, Pastor Dave to do is if he would come and just lead a prayer of dedication uh, for the work that these boxers are going to do. Dave, if you would lead us to pray, brother. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you get your gospel out to people throughout the world in so many different ways. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to join you in this one simple way of putting together these Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes and then sending them out to wherever you would have them go to make your name great, for your glory, for your fame. And so we pray now, Father, and ask that you would bless these boxes as we dedicate them to you. We pray that you would send them out and that through them the name of Jesus Christ and all that he's done would be proclaimed throughout all the world. And so, Father, thank you. Bless these. We thank you for all the family of River Bluff who has participated in this in, in different ways, both by bringing them here um, presently and online. And so, Father, use this to your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. You can just lay that there. Thank you, brother. Well, we have, as we've seen today, so many incredible things to be thankful for corporately. I'm praying that it has prompted in you, stirred in you, some thoughts of how you can be thankful individually, maybe in your, in your family, and that you'll spend some time talking about that. There are other uh, ministry opportunities and partnerships that God has given us. One is at Oak Brook Elementary School. Um, we'll talk more about that in the coming days. But God is, continues to do great, great things there. But beyond all of these, above far above all of these partnerships and things that we can be thankful for. I think the greatest thing, and I think all of us would agree, the greatest thing is the, the thanks that we can give to God for our salvation, for giving us life in Christ. That, that makes everything else kind of pale in comparison. It's the, the greatest act of, of God's grace towards humanity. And the Bible tells us that because God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, would not have to perish, but would have eternal life if they believed. And it goes on to tell us that God didn't send Jesus into the world so that the world might be condemned, but that through him the world might be saved. 
And I want us to take some moments at kind of bringing our, our service to a close to celebrate that salvation. That great salvation that was made available through Jesus' death on the cross, his burial in a borrowed tomb, his resurrection three days after his death. Jesus, on the night before he would suffer, uh, that great suffering on the cross gave us, gave, gave his disciples then and gives to us now something to remember him by. Remember the, the sacrifice that he made that we could share in that together and give thanks as we, we remember. It's known by many names. Some people refer to it as communion. Some people call it the Lord's table. We often refer to it here at River Bluff as, as the Lord's Supper. And so I, I want to encourage you to go ahead and, and ready your, your elements. Uh, one of the ways that makes it easy to open it, I'll tell you, is to take the tab and push it down and let it pop back up. Trust me, it will help you here in, in just a few minutes. See, years after Jesus called his followers to do this, to, to remember him, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to write to the church at Corinth about how to engage in the Lord's Supper, how to, to carry this out, to, how to uh, follow Jesus in this way, to remember him. And I want to share with you the scripture um, this morning from, uh, from 1 Corinthians um, about this. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to start reading in verse 23. Paul writes these words to that church. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And I want us to take a moment before we share in the Lord's Supper together to do what Paul instructed, that we would, we would let this personal examination take place, that we would go to the Holy Spirit and, and just pray, Holy Spirit, would you show if there is anything in me that is keeping me from fully experiencing the joy of my salvation that Jesus came to give me? Holy Spirit, tell me about it so I can confess it. So I can deal with it this morning. So I want to pray, and then I want to give us just a time of silence and let the Holy Spirit work on our hearts. Pray with me. Father, we, we come. Holy Spirit, we come. We know that you are present with us. We are so thankful for your presence. We come to remember and give thanks, Jesus, to you. But we want to make sure that our hearts are right towards you. So Holy Spirit, speak to us now. Show us if there's any evil in us. Point it out so we might confess it now.
Jesus, we come now. We come now to remember, to give thanks to you for your great sacrifice, for your great love for us that bought our salvation. We come remembering. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, go ahead and and pull back the top layer and to take the bread out. God's Word tells us that Jesus took bread that evening and Jesus broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Take and eat. then the scripture says that Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink from it, all of you. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come giving thanks. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for life in you. We thank you for the eternal hope that we have, heaven, which is ours. Lord, because of your sacrifice, we we know we're citizens there. We're grateful for Sean's testimony today through baptism of becoming a, a citizen in your kingdom when he trusted Jesus. And we come today giving thanks that you loved us so that you would pay our penalty for sin to bring us in. Jesus, thank you for your love. We want you to know that we love you. We thank you. We come now to worship you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. My prayer for you this week is that Not only will you experience the love of Jesus in powerful ways, but it would move you to give thanks and that you would express your love for him, not just by showing up here on a Sunday, but by celebrating his goodness, being thankful every day this week. One of the things that I'm so thankful for is these people right back here. Just the the blessing they are. Um, I, I thank God for their service. I thank God for, I thank God for the mandolin today. That was just beautiful, you know. Uh, and I thank God for you, my River family. And every time I think of you, I'm just going to keep giving thanks because you're beautiful. You're beautiful to God. You're beautiful in this broken world that needs the gospel of Jesus. So go giving thanks. Praise His holy name. And my prayer for you is that you will have an incredibly blessed season of giving thanks to God. God bless you. We'll see you soon.